As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. You could buy a very safe product that's not going to go anywhere, but you're probably only going to make maybe 5 to 6% on your money. And some people might be okay with that. But I would say find your niche if you're trying to create value and eventually syndicate and bring on other partners and find your niche. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Anthony Scandariato. How you doing, Anthony? I'm doing pretty good, Joe. Yourself? I am doing well and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Anthony. He's a co-founder and managing principal of Red Knight Properties, a value-add multifamily and mixed-use investing company. They have over $500 million worth of commercial real estate acquisition experience and currently have nine properties with their company based in New York City, New York. With that being said, Anthony, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So no, that was a great overview, Joe. I appreciate it. And for your listeners, we're actually right outside of New York City, based in New Jersey, about a half an hour outside of Midtown Manhattan. Where in Jersey? Um, Parsippany, Morristown area. Okay. So we're pretty close to New York and we started our company, my partner and I, about a year ago, in terms of the acquisition experience, I worked for an institutional real estate operating company in New Jersey where we office buildings up and down the East Coast, where we were renting to Fortune 500 companies and doing value-add plays, but on the office side and kind of realized that if we're in a long-term investment strategy or even a shorter-term investment strategy, that office wasn't the best thing to be in, at least in this point in the cycle. So kind of decided to start buying a few deals on my own, deals that I could just buy and kind of build a track record and then bring on additional partners and investors once some of these deals came to fruition and returns were actually realized to feel comfortable to actually be taking the leap doing this full time at Red Knight in 2020. 
You bought office buildings up and down, what would you say, the East Coast? Did I hear that right? Yeah, we bought anywhere from pretty much New Jersey all the way down to Florida. Okay, purchase price ranges were what? For your listeners, very big range. So it was anywhere from $10 million to 287 was our largest. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Where was the 287 property? It was a building in downtown Charlotte. Oh, Wells Fargo Center. Great market for sure for any asset class, I would think. How many years were you working at that institution? About five and a half years. Five and a half years. Okay. And what was your role during those years? And did that role evolve or change at all? Absolutely. So I graduated from college actually in 14. So it was essentially a role out of school. So started out as a very low level analyst analyzing different opportunities for the company investment strategies and then kind of evolved into taking over the acquisitions department and also at the same time getting involved with the boutique company and seeing everything from the acquisition to the asset management to property management to development to negotiating with lenders and almost like running your own shop within the shop. So Mm -hmm. great experience and I recommend it to any of your listeners who are thinking to get into commercial real estate on their own kind of long term, but kind of want the experience beforehand and, and kind of learn from really good mentors who have been successful. To use your words, a low-level analyst, what do you do exactly in that role? I wouldn't really call it low-level. Maybe that was the wrong term, but more of... Entry-level? You know, <laughs> Entry-level, yeah. Entry-level <laughs> market studies and feasibility reports comparable report, almost like a kind of a basic form for appraising properties. And then after you mastered that skill, you can look at analyzing investment opportunities for the company and presenting to the company if this is a good opportunity to pursue. And if we're going to pursue it, are we going to partner on it? And who are we going to partner with? And kind of run it soup to nuts. So kind of just evolves from there. Talk to us about a feasibility study that you would do? Just the components of that, please. Sure. So you would obviously do a market study, which could be broken down by obviously starting with the state, and then it could be broken down by sub-markets is what we call them in certain parts of regions in different states. And as you dig deeper, depends what asset class you're looking at, but you can look at historical trends for vacancy. You can look at historical trends for rent growth and average rental rates look at trends for any new construction, any new development coming on the line, looking at historical sales data, price per square foot, and for a lot of your listeners, multifamily is price per unit and cap rate and many different metrics to kind of look at to even determine whether it's a good investment to underwrite and present to either a limited partner or another general partner you're trying to acquire the property with. So nothing else starts without that general feasibility study. Those different data points that you were talking about are variables that are assessed. I imagine that you all had a subscription to some third-party research company or database to pull a lot of that information. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a benefit of also working for a larger company. So you have the Gold Star subscriptions, so to speak, to CoStar, which is, as you know, the largest commercial real estate information company at least in the country right now, and they're trying to take over more. <laughs> Reese is another good resource, primarily more catered towards multifamily. 
and obviously different news cycle reports. You could speak to different brokers on historical market reports. There's many ways to get market intel. So as an analyst, you go get this information, but I imagine that doesn't take very long to run these reports because you're just logging in and running the reports. What are you doing with the information as an analyst? So once you've found that information, typically it depends on what asset you're looking at and what asset type it is. So for example, I was buying office buildings. Typically, they come with an offering memorandum, which is the same that you see in multifamily properties. You go through that, kind of verify if all the information the brokers are presenting to you are correct and accurate from your third-party sources, and then putting together after that a comprehensive financial analysis, which are many tools you can use, and also working for a larger company, they're able to buy subscriptions to software such as Argus, which is very expensive, relatively speaking, to just a general simple Excel spreadsheet. With office properties, there sometimes could be 100 tenants at the property with different reimbursement methods and Mm. different lease expirations, and they call base years and expense caps. So it's pretty comprehensive software. I haven't really seen an office building modeled on Excel from scratch, but If anybody's ever done that, I love that template. (laughs) (laughs) So you kind of gather all the market information, verify what the broker is presenting to you is accurate, underwriting the property in either Excel or Argus to the best of your assumptions, and then seeing based upon your return criteria, seeing if it's a good investment or not, and then kind of presenting to your internal investment committee, and then it kind of goes from there, depending upon how you're structured. When you're looking at the third-party research information and cross-referencing it with the information the brokers provided to verify that it is correct. When it is not correct, what are they typically fudging the numbers or their facts on? What categories or what stuff does that typically involve? (laughs) The number one thing I've seen is rent growth, whether you're buying a hotel or self-storage, whatever it is. Typically, the broker's like to fudge those numbers. So that's the first thing I look at. What did they assume for rent growth? Let's just say you have a tenant paying $1,000 for a one-bedroom unit. Did they assume that you're going to get a 7% increase year one and then year two a 5% increase without any renovations or justification for it? Even if you want to compare that to your historical data, most of the time, generally cut that in half of what the broker is saying. But it depends on every asset class and where the properties are located. If your property is located in a hot market like Charlotte, we mentioned, for multi, I'd have to look at a 10-year historical average year-on-year rental growth there and see if whatever they're underwriting makes sense. And if it doesn't, we adjust and then we see how our numbers shake out and we would go to the broker then and make an offer. And sometimes it's accepted, sometimes it's countered, or sometimes it's not accepted at all. So that's generally an overview of how we come up with an analysis. For five and a half years, you're focused on buying value-add office buildings, correct? Yes. And you learned within a structured organization, but you're able to get a lot of really good hands-on experience and have different roles over that period of time. And then you decided, I'm going to take this experience and I'm going to pivot into multifamily. 
Now, earlier, you briefly mentioned that you moved to multifamily because office near and long term wasn't as good as multifamily. But let's talk about that more. Why not office? Because as you are totally aware, I know office is not as competitive, at least my perception of it. I've never purchased an office building. My perception is multifamily is much more competitive than office. And if you have that skill set of being in the industry for five and a half years, it seems like that would be a great play for you to just double down on office since you're bringing that skill set already. That's a good point. I would say to that is if you're looking to pivot asset classes, I would try to find a niche within the asset class you're trying to pivot to that not many people are looking at. So for example, for many obvious reasons of why multifamily just historically has been very recession-proof, and we can go into that details, but we'll spare them for another time. It's more the fact of you kind of have to know your local market and understand where all the investors are flocking to and where some of the investors aren't because they're not aware of the areas. For example, I live in New Jersey, which you mentioned, and very close to New York City within half an hour. A lot of investors in New Jersey won't touch anything west of the waterfront, which is Jersey City, Hoboken, basically Hudson County. So we don't stay in those markets at all. We like to go west of that because that's number one, where we live, and number two, where we know, and number three, where we're able to focus on kind of the middle market deals, anywhere from our smallest deal we did was a million. We're closing on our first indication now. It's just five and a half million. We just got another one under contract for seven three. So if you're in between that one to twenty million dollar range, if you bought in Hudson County and you had that type of money, you're probably going to be buying only fifteen to twenty units. Whereas if you go further west, you can start to get in the fifty to hundred unit properties with less competition and buying from very non institutional owners where you can really create value and not many people are looking right now in those areas. But once the waterfront gets heated up, everything trends west historically as well. But office in general, to answer your question, you could be really good at repositioning office buildings. It takes a lot more time to do that in my experience than repositioning multifamily. Why? Um, Vacancy, it depends where you're at. I've done deals anywhere from Jersey to, like I said, Florida, Atlanta, Charlotte, Louisville, Baltimore. Even if you're in a pretty hot market, leases for office buildings take sometimes months to negotiate, even if they're only 10% of your rent roll and they're signing a three-year lease. Sometimes it'll take four months to negotiate a lease. (laughs) And then you have to deal with the construction, which could take another two to three months or potentially even six months, depending upon how big the tenant is. And then they start to pay rent. And then you got to do it again. You got to keep constantly. (laughs) So it's a little different than multifamily where traditionally you have year leases and just kind of an expected turnover rate every year. And you kind of forecast that as you build your portfolio and you're able to plan for it. So all this is very fluctual, especially when you have a downturn as well. If you were forced to only buy office, what would your approach be? I'd say pretty similar to the multifamily. Try to find a niche, stay out of CBD locations in gateway markets such as New York City and Chicago and Boston. I would go to secondary markets, which we have, very similar to what we've been doing. And the cap rates in terms of the spread between multifamily and office, they're getting tighter. 
I'm seeing about a hundred basis point spread right now on a stabilized property between office and multi, which is not anything to write home about. <laughs> Did I hear you correct? For your first couple deals, you've used your own money. Correct. So, what was that first deal? It was, uh, for your listeners, it's a two-family house. <laughs> I still own it. I think it's a great way to start out. It could be relatively. We're, we're gonna affordable. skip past that. What's the next one? <laughs> okay. Two-family house, and then I bought another two-family. <laughs> Next. All right. What else? Another two-family. <laughs> you got three two-families. Basically, I started out with three two-families. Okay. I met my partner through a mutual friend. My partner played for the NFL for eight years. Brian Leonard is a great partner to have. He played for eight years as a fullback, so he's local to the area that I live in. So we ended up partnering on our first deal. It was a very simple split between the two of us. Actually, we bought a mixed-use building together. It wasn't 100% multi. It was about 60% retail, 40% multi. A year ago, which we just turned around and did a really nice cash-out refinance. So we went from a 2 to 2 to essentially a 10, and then we bought another 10, and then we bought a 13, and then we bought a 20, and then we bought another 20, and then now we're closing on a 51, which was our first indication, and now we're doing a 64. So you see the progression. Yeah. Is the 60% retail, 40% multifamily the only mixed use you've purchased? No, we actually have three mixed use properties, but the first property we bought was very local to the area I live in. I, I knew the building. I was very comfortable with the retail. And the other two properties that we have that have retail only have one or two tenants, whereas the first building we bought has four retail. Mm -hmm. So the income from the residential on the other ones are anywhere between 70 and 80%. So yeah. Um, Less risky. Right. Okay. On that first one that you bought, that is 60% retail. What did you do that the person you bought it from did not do? Sure. It's a great case study. We bought it from a farmer family. They actually had nine siblings that owned the property. And what happened was there was a fire at the building a year ago prior to when we bought it. That occurred. One of the tenants left the candle and the curtain. So it was left overnight, and next thing you know, the whole building was on fire. And it was a little bit of a disaster, but structurally, the building was still sound, and they had a nice insurance claim that they collected on and redid essentially the whole building. But this family is very non-sophisticated, and what they ended up doing was they kept everybody's rent the same after that occurrence, even though you have brand-new apartments and brand-new retail space now that they pay for so everybody's rent, let's just call it 800 bucks or so, and the market is more like 14. So we went in there, and obviously we're able to increase rents, and we also were able to add a little bit more upgrades that the insurance company didn't add. So we added some upgrades. We got a substantial rent increase from all the residential in addition to leasing up some vacant retail that was sitting vacant for years. How do you go about leasing up vacant retail? It depends how big the space is. But a local broker, in this instance, it was a 1,000 square foot. It was actually like a loft style. It was kind of lower level. So we didn't even think we would rent it, to be honest, for a while unless we gave it away. But we rented it in two weeks after we bought it, and we just put it on the market with the broker. How much? We got $10 a square foot, so about 1000 bucks. But okay. if you cap it at the 7 cap, you just add a lot of value to your building with one lease. So that happened. And there was also a retail tenant that was below market that we knew was leaving. Every time we buy a building, we like to interview the tenants if it's retail or office, because obviously it presents more risk than apartments. And we like to see what's going on. So we knew they were going to be leaving, but their rent was $500 below where somebody else knew would come in. 
So we actually ended up telling us they were leaving. So we kind of planned. We had the broker market the space already while they were still occupying it. When they left, we got somebody paying actually 550 more than the previous tenant with no turnover, no vacancy. And that was really a slam dunk deal. What, so what type made, of business is it? The new tenant, it's like a curated goods for men's supplies. So they have men's deodorant. It's kind of cool, crafty space. The space before that was a high-end women boutique. Okay. Last question on that, and then I'll ask you the question I ask everyone. How much did you buy it for? And I believe you said there was recent refinance. What did it appraise for on the refi? Sure. So pretty crazy numbers, and we weren't expecting this. So we bought it for $1.285 million. Our all-in basis was around one3 It appraised for $2.1 million, 10000 So Excellent. We, uh, Over what period of time? A year. Wow. I'm glad that you talked about what you all did because that is what attributed to the value increase. Anything else that you didn't mention that attributed to the value increase? People were flocking over the building when we were making offers. I think we positioned ourselves well. I kind of was friendly with the broker. and We showed a proof of funds and it was kind of a no-brainer. But we're very fortunate. Maybe it was a little bit of luck in market timing, but very fortunate to have bought that and really looking to that as a case study for our future success, even though every deal is not going to be like that, but really good start. What percent of your money did you get out on the refi? A hundred percent. And how much of that was Brian's versus yours? It's a very simple 50-50 split. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Like I said before, find your niche and find your niche asset class. Know your local market and where you think you can add value if you want to be a value-add investor, which I'm assuming a lot of your listeners do. For cash flow reasons, you could buy very safe product that's not going to go anywhere, but you're probably only going to make maybe 5 to 6% on your money, and some people might be okay with that. But I would say find your niche if you're trying to create value and eventually syndicate and bring on other partners and find your niche. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above, and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. What deal have you lost the most money on? Knock on wood, nothing yet. (laughs) Best ever deal you've done? I don't think anything could beat the story <laughs> I just described right now. What's the best ever resource you use in your business? I think CoStar is a really good resource for market intelligence. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? We do a charity event every year for children with cancer that my partner runs. So we like to donate a percentage of the profits to that. And we run it in New York City every year. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? You can visit our website. Red Knight Properties, and that's Red Knight with the K, dot com. Like us on Facebook, or you can add me on LinkedIn. And I really appreciate the time, Joe. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing the office experience that you have and how you've applied that to apartment buildings as well as some mixed-use projects. 
that you've done and how you and your business partner have created the company. And I love the case study as well as, again, just talking about your approach when you were an analyst, how you approach the feasibility studies and the different components of it and what you look for. And then trust but verify on those offer memorandums brokers provide, especially the rent growth. (laughs) As you said, that's the number one thing that you want to make sure is accurate, those assumptions. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day, and we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks a lot, Joey. Appreciate it.